Colossians 3.12. Before we read, and, um, and I have you stand up while we read since you probably don't want to be standing up a long time. I want you to imagine that um, you're invited to a wedding next week. And it's at uh, the fanciest Hyatt restaurant or the tar- top of the, is it the Washington Mutual Building? That is, uh, is that really swank, fancy, which one? Columbia Tower, thank you. Well, you've been there, I haven't. <laughs> and you're invited to a formal wedding. How many of you would show up in a bathing suit? Great. I just want to find out who not to invite to a formal wedding. <laughs> the, um, I, I spent the last few days in Denver with my, our oldest son, Jonathan. Had a wonderful time hiking at 10,000 feet in a driving snowstorm yesterday. It was, it was beautiful. Um, but coming back on the airplane, I had the most entertaining airplane flight I have ever had. This gal should be flight attendant of the century. You know those boring, um, you know, where they, announcements, yeah. <laughs> They're even more boring. You know, where they tell you about the oxygen mask and the seatbelt and all. This lady, for about five to ten minutes, carried on in the most hilarious way. I mean, you know, announcing the seatbelt, you know. For those of you that haven't ridden in a car since the 1960s, don't know how to use a seatbelt. <laughs> she said, for those of you, you know, and when the oxygen mask comes down, and, and uh, she said, you know, put your own on first, and then put one on, on, on a child, and then put one on an adult acting like a child. <laughs> and she says, if, if all of a sudden the airplane becomes lands in a pool. And, um, oh, what did she say? I, anyway, the, the, this, the, the climax was when she came and she's, and um, I can't remember exactly how it happened, but the, the end of it was where she says that um, we will duct tape you to the top of the airplane. And unfortunately, there won't be any direct TV service there and yet, we'll show a complimentary Gone with the Wind. <laughs> this guy was hilarious. Um, and, you know, as I was listening to her, I thought, man, it's, I mean, this is great, because often you think, you know, that they, everything's so rigid and stereotyped that they have to follow, you know, the little, the little plan. But this guy was absolutely wonderful. The kid sitting next to me says, I have flown this route dozens of times, and I've never experienced this. But, you know, one thing that I'm sure that I wouldn't experience, no matter the flexibility that she was able, you know, to exert in the midst of this little conversation, that she wouldn't have the flexibility to show up in a bathing suit. We're going to talk this morning, if you haven't figured it out so far, about how we should dress. Now, if you hadn't... If you didn't, how many, anybody here, nobody, nobody here knew my dad. My dad was a minister for 22 years. 
And I can't think of a time when my dad preached that he didn't wear a suit. He might be rolling over in his grave right now. (laughs) My dad was a wonderful man, but I can't remember a time when he preached without a suit. Now, I can't remember a time, except when I was senior pastor of a traditional church for seven and a half years and wore a suit every Sunday almost. I can't think of a time in the last years where I have worn a suit, except at a funeral and a wedding. Those are my complimentary times where I wear a suit. Except this Thursday night, I will be wearing uh, at least a tie. Because we've been invited to a a dinner this Thursday night where it says that the the attire is business or semi-formal. Unfortunately, they don't know that business for me looks like this. But since that's not what they think of when they think of business, they think of semi-formal. I'm going to wear a tie, not a suit, a tie. In thinking about how we dress, this is what I want you to be thinking about as we're going to read a few verses out of Colossians is as we think about how to dress, and we all dress so different now, don't we? And one of the funnest things to do is to watch people and see how different people dress. You know, if you sit at the mall or you sit at the airport and people are walking by, it's, it's, it's fun. But how, this is the question, with all of our differences and how unique we are, how should a Christian dress? How should a Christian dress? Some of you are thinking, man, what am I here listening to this for? <laughs> I, uh, how should a Christian dress? Okay, that's what I want you to be thinking about. As you stand with me, please, just for a few minutes, and I'm going to read as you follow along in Colossians 3 verses 12 through 17. Colossians 3, 12 through 17. Since God chose you to be the holy people whom he loves. not a great phrase? Man, if that's all you heard this morning and you just think about that, God chose you to be the holy people whom he loves. Man, let that sink into your craniums. God chose you to be a special person, set apart, belonging to him whom he loves. The God of the universe. So since that is what God chose you for, to belong to him and and him to love you, you must, notice the word, clothe yourselves... Give kind of a sigh of relief there for a second. He's not going to talk about outside clothing, okay? You must clothe yourselves with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Wow. You must, and I want you to notice that this word must is going to appear four times. You must Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive the person who offends you. What Elena was talking about earlier. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. 
And the most important piece of clothing you must wear is love. Love is what binds us all together in perfect harmony. And that's the clothing. And after we're going to talk about that clothing for a little bit, then we're going to come to the point to say, but how do we keep that clothing on, you know? <laughs> and then we come to two lets, starting in verse 15. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace and always be thankful. And let the words of Christ in all their richness live in your hearts and make you wise. Use his words to teach and counsel each other. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. And whatever you do or say, let it be as a representative of the Lord Jesus, all the while giving thanks through him to God the Father. Would you pray with me, please? Father, I thank you for just these few simple verses here that remind us not only who we are, but who we represent. And that it's you, Jesus, that we represent. As we go to work, as we go to school, as we just hang out, as we watch TV, as we go to the store. Father, I pray that as we look at these few verses this morning, that you would encourage us, that you would challenge us afresh to represent you as the God that you deserve to be represented as. The amazing God who, to whom we belong and, and the God that loves us. In Jesus' name, amen. You may sit down. So this, just these verses that we're going to look at are just going to break down into three kind of simple things. The first one, and I just want to remind you again, God chose you to be holy. The word holy means set apart, special, his, belonging to him. God chose you to be that special person that belongs to him and he loves. I love the verses in Isaiah where it says God delights. God delights to be gracious to us. Isn't that amazing? The God of the universe delights in us. I tell you, that has been the hardest thing for me to understand all of the years of my life. As I've struggled and I've shared a little bit how I've struggled so much in my life with feeling inadequate and and a failure, and, and a poor self-image, and to get a handle on that truth, and it's truth. It's not just, it's, it's truth that God delights in me. God delights to be gracious to me. And you could put your name in the, in the two locations at Jesus' baptism and at the transfiguration where the Father speaks from heaven and he says, to Jesus, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. I love the fact that it happened at the baptism because it's before Jesus, any ministry happened. It was just 
about relationship. It was just about God the Father's love for God the Son. This is my Son and my love, and I'm pleased with him. Pleased why? Because he's done, he hadn't done anything yet. His ministry hadn't begun. Just because he loved him. Do you understand that this morning? God, if you are a child of God, he loves you. He delights in you. He delights, he longs to be gracious to you. That's good stuff. That's, that's, that's the foundation. Now going back to this dinner that's happening, let's say that even though it says semi-formal attire that I'm in a little bit of a rebellious mood this Thursday night. Not that I'd ever been rebellious in my life. But <laughs> my wife almost had a heart attack of that. Um, I'm feeling a little bit rebellious, and I'm thinking, you know, who are they to tell me what to wear? I mean, really. That's, they're putting me in a box. They're trying to control me. They're trying to tell me what to do. And I'm not going to fit into that box. And I'm going to show up how I want to show up. And so I decide to show up like this. Looks nice, right? Thank you. <laughs> now, why would that be wrong? Would it be wrong? Absolutely, it would be wrong. Because I'm showing up. I, I have the option not to show up, right? Nobody has to go to this dinner on Thursday night. I have the option not to show up, but since I am going to show up and it says semi-formal attire, what would be wrong about me showing up like this? It, it, it obviously would show disrespectful, absolutely. Absolutely. Rocky. Well, okay, so it'd be disrespectful, right? It would be, it would be disrespectful to show up. It would be for me showing up and saying, I don't care about you. I don't care about you. I want you to understand that that is why so often we get in our minds, and, and, and I think one of the things is I pray for us, and I pray for our community, as I pray for myself, I just feel there's such an underlying spirit of rebellion in our hearts and in our community, I mean, in our world. Such an underlying spirit of rebellion. I mean, that I'm going to be who I, I'm going to be. I'm going to do what I want to do. I don't, nobody can tell me what to do. I want you to... Notice what it says here. Look, look back. It says, since God chose you to be the holy people whom he loves. And what are the four words again? Must. must you must. I want you to get this. This is so important. Because I think so often because of the spirit of rebellion within us, we think, well, I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm going to talk like I want to talk. I'm going to watch what I want to watch. I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm going to go where I want to go. As if, and I'm talking right now to those of you, those of us who consider ourselves to be individuals who belong to Jesus Christ and believed we're loved by him. 
I want us to get really clearly that there's four musts that must take place. This is the clothing we must wear. It's not up for us to say, well, I'm just going to wear whatever I want to wear. I'm just going to do whatever I want to do. Notice it really clearly. You must clothe yourselves in a certain way. If I were titling this, you know, being a, a preacher, you like to title things all fancy. I thought a great way to title this would be Behavior That Befits Believers. Isn't that kind of a nice little ring to it? Actually, the first thing I was going to start with, Behavior Behooving Believers, but then I realized none of you knew that word. No. <laughs> or Conduct That Is Consistent With Being a Christian. Is there such a thing? I think that's what it's talking about right here. If we get a handle on the fact that we belong to Christ, that we're loved by him, then we must represent him as he deserves to be represented. You understand? That's what it's talking about here. Notice what it says, with tender-hearted mercy. In Romans 13, 14, it says, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ. I think that's what it's talking about here. Just, if you consider yourself his, clothe yourself with him. Dress yourself with Jesus with tender-hearted mercy. When I think of tender-hearted mercy, I think of John chapter 8 and the woman caught in adultery and all these self-righteous religious leaders somehow conveniently forgot the man and drugged the woman before Jesus saying, what should we do? She's an adulteress and according to the law we must stone her. And what did Jesus do? He, he didn't say anything. He just stooped down. He wrote something on the ground, and they kept after him. And then he, what did he do? In showing amazing, tender-hearted mercy, he said, let him who is without the first stone, let him who is without sin cast the first stone. And one by one by one, because of his tender-hearted mercy to this Woman caught in adultery. All of those self-righteous religious leaders slunk away and all that was left was her and Jesus. And he says, go and sin no more. I think of another woman and, and I just love, I think the tender-hearted mercy, Jesus sitting by a well in Samaria and there's the woman by the well and another, another adulteress. She's had, what, four or five husbands. And she's out in the middle of the day gathering, drawing water because, because she's shamed and no one will let her draw water in the morning, cool of the morning or the cool of the evening. And so there she is in the middle of the day in the burning hot sun drawing water and Jesus reaches out in tender-hearted mercy to another adulteress and reveals to her that he is the Messiah and she comes to trust in him. Clothe yourselves with tender-hearted mercy. It's the first thing we must do. Clothe yourselves with kindness. You know, Jesus was teaching in the wilderness 4,000 people and they were hungry. They'd be, been listening to him all day. It was towards the end of the day. They hadn't eaten anything all day. And his disciples' great suggestion was, send them away. Tell them it's time to go home. Preaching's done. 
And Jesus told his disciples, but if they, but if they go now, they're going to faint along the way because they haven't eaten all day and it's a long ways to their homes. Kindness. How many of us would be like the disciples? You know, you know we're hungry. Get rid of them so we can go eat. And Jesus said, no, you feed them. You feed them. <laughs> we don't know how to feed them. And Jesus fed them miraculously, 4,000 like he did the 5,000, because of his heart of kindness, humility. You know, the most amazing illustration of humility that I believe is in the New Testament is in John chapter 13. When Jesus is with his disciples, he's about ready to be betrayed by Judas. He's about ready to go to the cross, and all of that is on his mind. The torture, the shame, the mocking, the cross, the flogging, it's all on his mind. And he's with his disciples at the dinner table with all of that on his mind. And what is on the disciples' mind? Themselves. Kind of like us. And there's a problem because they hadn't planned ahead to provide a servant to wash everybody's feet. And so there they are, Jesus' 12 disciples and himself, their master, and they all have dirty feet. And back in that culture, dirty feet meant dirty feet, you know, because they had open sewers and dusty roads, and so they had dink, stinky, dirty feet. And none of them was humble enough because a servant wasn't there to take up the towel in the basin and to wash the other's feet, even Jesus' feet, their master. And so what does Jesus do? It says he lays aside his robe and he takes up a bowl of water and he proceeds to wash every one of his disciples' stinky, dirty feet. Humility. Do we have that humility? Are we clothed with that tender-hearted mercy and kindness? and humility, gentleness. I tell you, Jesus' disciples were constantly telling him, don't let the, you know, telling people, get rid of your kids. Tell your kids, Jesus is too busy for your kids. And Jesus was constantly saying, let the kids come to me, for that's the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is about people who are like little kids who come in all simplicity and trust and obedience to me. And so he called the little children to himself and he had them sit on his knee and he laid his hands on them and he blessed them, the gentleness of Jesus. I think of the gentleness of Jesus when he raised from the dead a little girl by the name of Talitha. That's, if we had another little girl, I think that's what my wife would have named her, Talitha. And I would say her middle name would be Kum, Talitha Kum. Jesus said, little girl, arise. No, it's a joke. When he raised her from the dead, he sent everybody out. <laughs> really slow getting that. The, uh, he sent everybody out. He raised a little girl from the dead. What is the first thing Jesus said? Anybody remember? He said, get something for her to eat. I mean, Jesus had such gentleness and practicalness about himself in his love for and his gentleness with little children. And then the last one, patience. 
I tell you, it doesn't take much reading through the Gospels to see the patience of Jesus. Patience with the religious leaders who are constantly harping on him and, and, and trying to trap him. But maybe even more so, patience with his disciples. <laughs> patience with his disciples. Jesus was constantly saying to them as, again, either Peter stuck his foot in their mouths or they failed to trust Jesus. After he just fed the 5,000, he just fed 4,000. They're in a boat. And Jesus said, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Leaven meaning yeast, you know, that which just permeates. The, the teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, it just permeates in, in, insidiously with its self-righteousness. And Jesus tells his disciples, after he had just fed 5,000 people with five loaves of bread and two fish, and 4,000 people with seven loaves, a little bit of a miracle, and he's in the boat, and he says, beware of the yeast. And what, it, what, what comes to his disciples' minds immediately was, oh my goodness, we forgot to bring bread. He must be talking about the fact that we forgot to bring our lunch. And he's hungry, and what is he going to do? The patience of Jesus. I mean, and he said, he, I, mean, I mean, I would be so exasperated, like, good grief, you idiots. I just fed 9,000 people, 5,000 people with five loaves and 4,000 with seven loaves, and you were worried about the fact that you forgot bread? That's not what he was talking about at all. The patience of Jesus as he put up with the disciples because he was so committed to loving them and equipping them, discipling them. It's what he came for. And so us, this is the point, notice. If we really belong to him and we know we're loved by him, we must wear this kind of clothing. This isn't an option. That's how I started. I want us to understand that this is what it means to be God's holy people, God's loved people, is to live this way. To represent him this way. Look at the very last verse, verse 17. And whatever you do or say, let it be as a representative of the Lord Jesus. And whether we consider ourselves as such or want to be such, if we consider ourselves Christians, that's what we are, representatives of Jesus. And it's because we fail so often as representatives of Jesus that a guy like Gandhi, who in no way was a follower of Christ, said, if more Christians acted like Christ, I might be tempted to be one of his followers. Representatives of Christ. What does it mean? We must. Understanding who we are. Holy, belonging to him, loved by him. We must clothe ourselves with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. You notice, notice what it doesn't include in this list? It doesn't say we need to be able to talk good. Interestingly enough, a couple of weeks ago, as I was talking to somebody and uh, whose, whose life doesn't in any way represent any of these things, their defense to me as they were defending their life, which in no way represented Christ, was I talk to my friends about Jesus. Big deal. I mean, really, big deal. 
if we aren't clothed with these things, it might be better if we closed our mouths. Because this is what it means to represent Jesus. You must make allowance for each other's faults and forgive the person who offends you. Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. If we don't forgive others, if we don't, as it says in 1 Corinthians 13, love doesn't take into account a wrong suffered. If we hold on to wrongs and if we hold on to faults and if we don't forgive others, we're not representatives of Jesus. That's Jesus. as he's hanging on the cross, as he's about ready to die, as he's been mocked, as he's been maligned, as he's been falsely accused, as the worst wrong that could ever be done against any person has been done, the only sinless person who has lived, hanging on the cross as a sinner. Just before he dies, what does he say? Father, to hell with them. No, he didn't say that. (laughs) Just making sure some of you are away. He says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Forgiveness. And then love. Excuse me, verse 14. And the most important piece of clothing you must wear is love because love is what puts it all together, binds it all together, binds us all together. And so Jesus says to his disciples after he washed their feet in John 13 says by this all men will know that you are my disciples my representatives if you love one another love now we come to that point just in kind of wrapping it up it would be a really natural thing because we're all inadequate people we're all weak people (laughs) We're not any perfect people that that I'm aware of. The natural question at that point would be say, man, how do I do that? (laughs) I mean, tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, forgiveness, love, that clothing that represents who Jesus is and that the world desperately needs to see. How do I keep those clothes on? How do I keep those clothes clean? And I want just to point out two things in verse 15 and 16 that I think as Paul ends this section is for us to understand and help us. Verse 15, notice it says, let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. The word rule is a a neat little word because literally what the word means is act as an umpire or act as a referee. It's like in a basketball game or a football game or a soccer game where there's those guys in black and white shirts, you know, running around and blowing whistles. They're called referees, in case you hadn't known that. And why do they blow their whistles? Just because they like to blow whistles? Maybe, but at least in the game, the reason they blow the whistles is because somebody did something wrong, right? I think that's the only time they're supposed to blow the whistle is that something went wrong, or or somebody calls for a timeout. Let the peace of Christ act as a referee in your hearts. What does that mean? I think that what that means is that if we are, if we understand who we are, that we belong to him and that he loves us, what's that going to invade our hearts with? Amazing peace. 
amazing peace. If we understand who we are, whose we are, that we're his and that he loves us, that should, that should be amazing peace. I mean, why don't we have peace? Because, because we're troubled about things. We're troubled about what's going on. We're troubled about what somebody said to us. We're troubled about circumstances. We're troubled about finances. We're troubled about relationships. Let the peace of God act as a referee in your heart so that if there isn't peace in your heart, what should that do? That should be like an umpire, a referee in your heart that shows you something's wrong. Isn't it amazing how easy it is for us to go through life without peace? And what this verse is saying is, is if there isn't peace in your hearts, that's like a referee saying something's wrong in your relationship with Jesus. You've forgotten who you are. You've forgotten whose you are. You've forgotten that you belong to him. Let the peace of God act as a referee in your heart. And, and I think it's just, before we go to the next one, it's just that simple reminder that, that peace is a good thing. <laughs> Peace in our hearts is a good thing. It's what God wants to be in our hearts as we understand and we're in right relationship with him. And so let that peace act as a referee in your heart. So if you don't have peace in your heart this morning, let that bring you back to Jesus saying, what's wrong? What do I need to do? What do I need to make right? Is there somebody I need to forgive? Is there somebody some uh, somebody that I'm something I'm holding on to and I need to let go of? Is there somebody that I wasn't kind to? Is there somebody I didn't show love to? Is there, is there something I need to confess? Is there something I need to bring, bring before Jesus, you, Jesus, to make right so that peace of God can, can rule in my hearts and I can be clothed again with the Lord Jesus Christ? Is that peace not in your heart this morning? I'd, I'd ask you as we close here in just a little bit, to use the time as, as I pray to just before God say, God, what do I need to make right? If we confess our sins, 1 John 1, 9, it says he's faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness and, and bring us back into peace, right relationship with him. And the second, look at verse 16. Not only let the peace that comes from Christ act as a referee in your hearts, but verse 16 let the words of Christ in all their richness live in your hearts. Let the words of Christ, these words right here, okay? Let these words, notice this, it doesn't just say memorize them, study them, read them, but it says in all their richness live in your hearts. If you think that there's any way that you who belong to Jesus, who consider yourselves loved by Jesus, can be clothed with Jesus and rightly represent him without spending time in this book, you're wrong. Let these words and all their richness, meaning spend time in them, meditate upon them, ponder them, get excited about them, about these truths, I mean, just if you're having a hard time figuring out where to start, start with the beginning of verse 12, that God chose you to be a holy person whom he loves. Ponder that. Think about it. That's the God of the universe and what he thinks about you. 
be amazed by that. Let his words and all their richness live in your hearts. And I want you to notice there's two results. If Christ's peace rules in your heart, I think the end result at the end of verse 15 is that you're going to be a thankful. It's going to affect our attitude. You know, so many of us, we go around with pretty stinking attitudes throughout the day, don't we? Griping and grumbling and grousing. And we should say, well, man, doesn't seem to be much peace there. <laughs> Let the peace of God act as a referee in your heart, knowing that if you're, something's wrong with your attitude, then something's wrong with your heart. You need to come back and get in right relationship with God. Clothe yourselves with Christ so that you can rightly represent him. And if the words of Christ and all their richness live in your hearts, what is it going to affect? It's going to affect our words. His words, use his words to teach and counsel each other, sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. How are your words? Are they kind of critical words? kind of complaining words? Are they kind of cutting words? Then maybe his words aren't dwelling richly in your heart. So I've spoken to those of us here this morning who know that we're children of God. We belong to him. We know he loves us. And we should clothe ourselves with these things. But I want to end by just speaking to any of you here this morning who might not be a child of God. You don't know him. You don't know that you belong to him, that he loves you. What do you need to clothe yourself with? There's a story that Jesus told in Matthew 22 about a a wedding feast. It's the ultimate, the final wedding feast. When the father puts on a wedding feast for the son and all those who are Jesus's, will participate in that wedding feast and we as a bride will be married to Jesus for eternity. We're going to be spend eternity with him. And so the father puts on a wedding feast for the son and he and he invites those um, and he invite he goes everywhere to invite people to the highways and the byways and the wedding feast is filled. And the father goes out and looks at the wedding crowd and then all of a sudden he notices in the midst of this wedding crowd that there's someone who doesn't have on the right wedding clothes. They're not dressed for the wedding. It'd be kind of rude, disrespectful, wouldn't it? To be invited to a wedding by one of your friends and, and show up when it's a fancy wedding show and say, oh, I'm just going to show up how I want. And what does the father do? He says, why don't you have on wedding clothes? And the person was speechless and he says, throw them out of the wedding. What were the wedding clothes that were needed to be at the wedding of the Lamb of God? It's to be clothed with Christ, his righteousness. From the beginning to the end, it's Christ. And I I just invite any of you who are here this morning that are here this morning and you don't know Christ, if you want to be, spend eternity with him, if you want to be a part of the wedding feast of the Lamb, got to be clothed with Christ and his righteousness. You're not going to make it in your own righteousness. You're not going to make it by your own deeds or by your own attainments because the wages of sin is death 
It's sin separates us, and there's nothing in and of ourselves that we can do to dress ourselves. We've got to be dressed with Christ. See, if we come to the end of this time and you thought, Dave just said, you've got to do this, you've got to do this, you've got to do this, you missed what I said. You must clothe yourselves with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, gentleness, patience, but you can't do it. It's only as we clothe ourselves with Christ that we can represent Christ. It's Christ living through us. It's Christ loving through us. It's Christ forgiving through us. But we've got it. We can't just say, well, I'm going to do whatever I want to do. No, it says you must. But it must be Christ doing it through you. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would speak to our hearts. Um, that you would probe in our hearts, that you would convict our hearts. And Father, if your peace isn't there because things aren't right between us and you, Father, I pray that this morning your spirit who acts as that referee in our heart convicting us and probing our hearts would expose to us what we need to bring before you, what we need to confess before you, what we need to make right before you, Father, so that your peace will rule in our hearts. Father, I pray that you would convict us this morning, that your words would richly live within us. Oh, Father, thank you so much that you love us, that we belong to you, that you've chosen us. Father, help us to be the people that you've called us to be, that you've clothed us to be with Jesus. Amen.